0: In the last week, Catholic bishops of Canada have released statements to the public and to the government to help clarify their stance in relation to the residential school's apology. I don't have time to go into detail, but for some 100 years the Canadian government had a policy of removing native children from their families and communities and sending them to schools where they would unlearn their native ways. These schools were run by various churches, and in the case of the Catholic Church, by several religious congregations. The sad truth is that these schools were not a success. The children were sexually and physically abused, and those who were not were still stripped of their identities. Some 6,000 died while in care. The result? Several generations of Canadian natives have been lost to crime, abuse, and addiction. All other churches have apologized for their role. Catholic congregations and local bishops have also apologized, and the Catholic Church has expressed regret. Canadian bishops say that as a conference they cannot apologize for the Conference of Catholic Bishops did not run any residential schools and those who did have apologized and paid restitution. The Vatican and Pope Francis say the same thing. Let's pray for clarity and reconciliation in this issue. I'm Deacon Pedro and this is the Salt and Light Apple. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro.
1: I'm Emily Callen.
0: And sadly, Billy's not with us today. I was just going to say. I know. Where can is you he? say? I thought you were going to do his voice and say. I was going to try Billy b- Chan, but you're but not. But I feel
1: like that would be very insulting. It would
0: be very insulting to Billy, and anyway, and all the people who love Billy. Anyway, if you love Billy, you should write to us and say we missed Billy. Okay, at b Joe Chan, you can write to him directly, or uh, at Deacon Pedro, or at. Emmy, Kellan. Emily. We're going to start our show with uh, after the song with news. So, what are our news headlines today?
1: So, a lot of Canadian news actually good. this week, Pedro. Good for uh, all our
0: American listeners. For,
1: yeah, exactly. Canadian it's news. good. I mean, we know all about what's going on with you guys in the states. So, yes, you know, yes. it's a little it's bit time.
0: Canadiana. Exactly. For you.
1: Exactly. We're not going to. We're not going to hide ourselves. Right. So, um, good news and somewhat. Not so good news, I suppose, um, has to do with, you mentioned it already in your intro with regards the to apology. the, the abology and for the residential schools. Yes. Um, also hmm. going to mention something uh, regarding development and peace. Right. Uh, the charitable arm of the Catholic Church in yes. Canada. So that's
0: the equivalent of Catholic Relief Services in the United States. Exactly.
1: Yes. Exactly. And a member of Caritas. Yes. International. Um, international, which is tied to the Vatican. Yes. So anyways, I'm going to give get into a little bit more details with that later. And... Um, I'm going to leave it at that because if I say the next piece of news, it's just going to give give it it away. away.
0: So those two news items and one more Canadian news item with Emily Callan in the next, I don't know, five or seven minutes. So that's all coming very soon. And afterwards, Jillian Cantor is going to be with us. She's going to tell us what she learned from her kids. And she has news. So if you want to hear the new news from uh, from Emily, from Jillian, from (laughs) Jillian Cantor, stay tuned to uh, what I learned from my kids with Jillian Cantor. Um, and yes, Billy's not with us today, so there's no church for dummies but Father Rosica, our boss has a reflection for the fourth Sunday in Easter. so it is the Easter season. It's very appropriate. It's nice to hear from from a priest, from clergy that's not the deacon on a reflection to help us on this fourth Sunday in Easter. Um, Emily, question for you do you have any experience Answered, Do you have any experience with people with disabilities?
1: Not that much to be honest. Are you, how
0: comfortable are you when you encounter a person with a disability?
1: I would like to think that I'm comfortable enough um that I just need to be normal, I guess. Yeah. Um treat them as Do
0: you feel self-conscious? <laughs> you
1: but f- I think that yes, deep down I do feel a little bit self-conscious. I think I'm afraid of um Maybe maybe treating them differently. Yeah, you know when I, I like because I don't want them. I don't want. I don't want to. Even treat the fact them differently. that, I know that
0: happens to me too because I think I'm actually very. I did my pastoral placement at L'Arche. so yeah. very comfortable with with uh, th- the, the the members of Larsh, mm-hmm. the core members, and 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 with people with disabilities. But at the same time, the very fact that you're thinking. I'm not going to treat them differently means that you're treating you're them differently. Treating them, yeah. You're already treating them differently.
1: There's people in our building, or the building that I live at. Yes. Um, there's a, a floor, and it's people who live on that floor have disabilities. Yes. And um, we often bump into them in the entrance, right? And so they'll talk to you, and right. So I guess that's kind of I, I have a, a regular encounter with people yes, with disabilities. Yes. And right? it's not, the, and I guess but all
0: disabilities are not the same. So someone no. with a physical disability that uses a wheelchair. It's it's not the same as different. someone that has a developmental or mm-hmm, a, or a mm-hmm. cognitive disability, and then you can't mm-hmm. even, you don't even know how, to, how you can communicate. Can they understand me? Mm-hmm. Do I still treat them and talk to them as I would anybody? Anyway, so the reason why I'm bringing all this up is because our guest today uh, is Dr. Joseph Dutkowski, who has, um, he's an orthopedic surgeon. So he's made a career out of, from a, from an orthopedic point of view, helping people with disabilities, but he's dedicated his career to caring and advocating for persons with disabilities. Mm, and this book, I love the title of the book, it's called Perfectly Human. Um, and uh, so... So the author of Perfectly Human, Dr. Joseph Dutkowski, is uh, going to be with us in about 25 minutes to tell us all about his experiences with persons with disabilities and his work and about a super cool workshop that is run by the New York City Ballet. That's all I'm going to say. That um, sounds
1: beautiful. It reminds me of a book that Jean Vanier wrote called Becoming Human.
0: Yes, absolutely. Which people yes. should also read. Everybody should read Jean Vanier. Absolutely. So um, uh, Dr. Joe Dutkowski uh, in about 25 minutes, and after that, we're going to be meeting with a new singer songwriter. I love that there's so many <laughs> new people writing new yes. music. And John Finch, um, I love his stuff. As soon as I heard it, I, I, it's it's wonderful. It's it's great music. He's 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 fairly new in the scene, um, and just released his debut album. It's called Wildfire. Mm-hmm. So Emily, why don't we start with a song from that album? Here's John Finch with "Peace Be Still." from his debut album, Wildfire.
2: There is one name that can tame The raging seas of my heart Through every trial and every fear Jesus, I know Peace be still. Peace be still. In the name of Jesus. Peace be still. Peace be still. You are my shield. You are there with me
0: That was John Finch with Peace Be Still from his debut album, Wildfire. And we're going to be speaking with John Finch in about half an hour. Standing in the wings is Jillian Cantor with What I Learned From My Kids. And in 12 minutes or so, a reflection for the fourth week in Easter. But first, Emily is still here with our news.
1: Yes. So I mentioned... um... Again, we're talking about the residential schools, so the mm-hmm. apology that um, the bishops asked or sorry uh, the government the government had asked exactly that the Pope uh, issue an apology or come to can- Canada to issue a personal apology on right. behalf of the Catholic Church to all those who've suffered um, because of the residential schools. And um, uh, so following a letter from the CCCB president um, about the Pope not being able to do so right, right now, um, now there's a motion being put forward in the House of Commons relating to the Catholic Church and the operation of residential schools, and they really want to push for this right. visit to happen yes. for the Pope to issue an apology. So then they're not letting go of this. Um, and uh, so what, after a lot of criticism, I um, one, when this letter came out and and the decision that was shared, uh, the CCCB wanted to provide more context to to some of the inaccuracies they say which were circulated yes. in the media a lot of
0: misunderstandings and, La- yep. a lot
1: of misunderstandings so I'm not going to go through them right now because it's a pretty extensive document it's a pdf document that's available yes. on the cccb's website which people have access Absolutely. to if they want to go and consult it yes,
0: cccb.ca
1: exactly so please feel free to do so and um again like you said pedro we, we definitely should pray for um for that for clarity and can i just say um, yeah. um
0: the, the document does clarify a lot of things does, i read it and yes. i thought oh wow that's great same yeah it yeah, ex- gives a lot of the history as of the context, well of, yes. a lot of
1: the context so um so please go and read that so you're a little bit more informed and, yes. and aware of, of what the church has already done and is doing to um, uh, for reconciliation with the um, First Nations in yes. Canada. Second piece of news, again, now I was saying regarding development and peace of the Canadian right. Catholic organization, which is uh, a member of Caritas Internationalis. Yes. So basically, the, and that, that organization is linked to the Holy See. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what's happening? Uh, essentially... What we know is that there's a dozen Canadian bishops at the moment in Canada that are withholding funds to development and peace, um, because uh, based on a preliminary research um, that has been that was circulated, um, they discovered that some of the partners of DNP were um, possibly connected to abortion and artificial mm-hmm. contraception. Right. So um, this started on April 4th. The Archbishop of Edmonton, Richard Smith, wrote a letter and he expresses concern uh, about this. Preliminary research that was done, and he said, you know, it appears to show evidence of conflict with Catholic moral and social teaching, uh, especially in regards to respect for the sanctity of human life. Now, the other dioceses that have um, with are withholding funds at the moment are Saint Catharines, Calgary, Saint Paul, Vancouver, Toronto, Kamloops, Nelson, Saskatoon, mm-hmm. Winnipeg, Saint Boniface, and yeah, Whitehorse. A lot. So that's a lot. That's exactly a lot of dioceses. Um, now these bishops are asking for transparency and accountability. Um, but DNP has said that this pr- preliminary research was shared with the bishops even before they were able to respond to it. And um, and the National Council President, Jean-Denis Lampon, uh, said that it represented a very incomplete portrait and that people should wait for a review, a, a more complete review. Yes. Um, and then uh, just maybe to... To finish off with this, Caritas Internationalis um, has a very strict, has a strict code of ethics, Mm -hmm. including sacredness of life from conception to natural death. And that is non-negotiable. And again, DNP has said this is also non-negotiable for Mm -hmm. them. So anyways, this is ongoing. Yeah, we don't know what's going to happen, but this is
0: another another another, <laughs> another issue that we should pray for clarity yes, and exactly and yeah, absolutely because they
1: do they do great they do work wonderful work yes. um and so I think that you know it's one of the one of the biggest organizations in Canada yeah, cath- for the Catholic Church the Catholic that Catholic does work relief yes, work so absolutely important to pray for that.
0: And you had one more more news item. Yes,
1: exactly. So Canadian nun is going to be declared venerable. That's great. um, Sister Elizabeth Briard of the Sisters of Charity, which um, in Ottawa, but was founded in Montreal in 1818. Sister Briard or Mother Briard was 27 years old when she went to Ottawa, which was then called Bytown to Mm -hmm. establish the community there and help build the city. Uh, So with her community, they built a hospital, an orphanage, a home for the elderly and a school. And she lived there. For 30 years before dying in 1876. So, uh, Archbishop Prendergast said that um, she was filled with the love of God and a burning desire to do God's work and help the vulnerable and those without a voice. Mm -hmm, That's great. Uh, she changed the face of the village of Bytown or Ottawa.
0: Or Ottawa. That's great. Mm -hmm. So, that's a new Canadian state, and I'm sure we'll hear lots more about that as the story develops. Thank you, Emily. Emily Callan, our Salt and Light Hour news producer. You can follow her at Emmy Callan.
3: Hello, I'm Sean Garrison, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro.
0: I'm Deacon Pedro. You can find me on Facebook. Just look for Deacon Pedro, and you can also follow me on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. And now it's time for What I Learned from My Kids with Jillian Cantor. Jillian, welcome to the program.
3: Always nice to be here.
0: It's always nice to have you because you always have such great insight that you've (laughs) learned from your wonderful children. So what did you learn this month?
3: All right. Well, um, this one is uh, probably a little unfamiliar territory for me. So it's kind of funny that I would even voyage into this um, side of things, but I'll let you stop me and correct me (laughs) when you need to. Okay. Start sounding completely wrong. Yes. Um. So the thing that we are coming to, I think we knew this, but it, I mean, it's something that you don't always think about, and that is the the idea that there is a spiritual battle going on for each and every one of us um, uh-huh. our souls. Um, when we consider God's personal, individual love for each of us, I think that is a concept that is really overwhelming. It maybe not. So easy to understand that God made you. He has a plan for you. Um, that you are loved by Him. That He's your best friend. These are the things that we're trying to pass on to our kids and teach them. But as those lessons come out of our mouths, I also am challenged by that. Like God could love me as an individual, me, Jillian Cantor, mm-hmm. um, so much. Conversely, if we, uh, you know, we believe that with great conviction that God has that desire for our hearts. Then we also need to recognize that the devil um, is trying to fight for our souls as well Mm -hmm. not because he loves us but because he wants to destroy us yes um this is not a very uplifting message
0: no not at all (laughs) And
3: and something that we don't i don't think that lots of us want to think about because really it's terrifying to imagine that somebody is out to get you yeah um, and it's the stuff that horror movies are made of, and you really don't want to enter that enter into that thought. No. Nor do you really want to share much of it no. with your kids. No. <laughs> it's really, I mean, it's something that adults have a hard time understanding and grasping. So yes. Children, I mean, they understand the concepts of good guys and bad guys just from <clears throat> the stories that they read um, and the games that they play. But this is well beyond that. But the mm-hmm. reason that it has come to top of mind is because we have been helping Henry um, as he prepares to receive his first Holy Communion. Okay. Um, Now, Henry is a very passionate fellow, and he has been from the very beginning of his life here with us. um, He is a lover and a fighter, so his passion is expressed on both ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. He'll be the first one to hug you and love you and be really mushy and really cuddly, but he's also the one who can get the most angry right. um, and be the one to tell you that he doesn't like you. Yes. So he's, he, yeah, it's um, it's a seesaw of emotions with him. So that's a bit challenging. Um, he's also the, our child who has told us um, that when he grows up, he would like to be a priest. Now, mm. kids tell you different things all the time about what they want to grow up and do. Um, and some of it like astronaut or... Mm-hmm. A ballerina doctor or um, our oldest has told us he's going to move in with, our, with his cousins and own 57 hamsters so that's just there's always a wide spectrum of what kids can imagine that they're gonna do when they grow up um, but Henry has spoken about this for a long time and there's just something about the way that he says it and who he says it to and the confidence that he has when he says that you no know, one day he'll be a priest that I think we take it a little more seriously than the 57 hamsters idea. Yes. Not that we are pushing it, but we're just, you know, if he says that, we're like, well, that would be really amazing, Henry, if one day you were a priest, and we'll see what God has planned for you and those sorts of phrases so that he knows, you know, we encourage him in whatever he he chooses to do. So that's kind of all the backstory. (laughs) So as we're preparing for his first communion, we're also recognizing that Henry is really... Challenging us with his behavior, those passions that I spoke about, um, but unfortunately, it was mostly the negative side of the passions. He was mm-hmm. being basically incredibly naughty, and it was really hard—not just on uh, us as parents to try to figure out how to deal with him, how to parent him, but also the whole family because they were everyone was the target of his rage and of his naughtiness and disobedience. Um, so it was just really challenging in these last few months. And I think part of us as parents kind of identified it maybe as a little bit of that spiritual warfare. Like, he's approaching his first communion, and, you know, this is a big thing. that He'll be able to receive the body of Christ. And, you know, if there's anything that the devil wants to fight against, it's got to be mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Um, especially a little boy who can speak so with such conviction that he wants to have this vocation toward the priesthood. So... I think part of us was also hoping that once we hit this First Communion, we would be seeing a change in him, that we, he would experience, you know, he'd receive Christ, and there would be more peace and joy, and his behavior would mm-hmm. change. So this last Saturday, we celebrated with him, received his First Communion, he was really a happy, cheerful boy all day long, and it was just it was a beautiful experience. Um, and then the next day, <laughs> it was back to where he was before, all that naughtiness, and I think. You know, David and I both looked at each other with slumped shoulders like, oh my gosh, here we go again. No, I mean, receiving the body of Christ is not, um, it's not receiving magic. We're, it's not going to, you know, erase all the bad things that we mm-hmm. don't want to deal with. And, and quite frankly, we're not expecting, we shouldn't just um, dismiss all this as what's out of our hands. Spiritual warfare, what can we do? No, we realize we still have to parent him. He's still a child. You know, he could just be being naughty. Yes. Um, but we do also recognize that, with not just with him, but with all of our kids, we have to prepare them for this battle. Um, and again, not necessarily talking a lot about the devil and trying to scare them, but just giving them the tools um, and their armor so that they can... Um, fight for the mm-hmm. Lord and fight mm-hmm. for themselves and fight for their own spirituality. Yeah, so, I don't know. It's a big topic and it, maybe doesn't make a lot of sense. No, but it, it just does. Has opened our eyes um, to just the, the battle that does exist. I mean, I mean, let's even look at that. Consider the um, the prayer of Saint Michael the Archangel. Yes, and the phrasing there and it's like, "Defend us this day in battle." Yes, wickedness and snares of the devil. Like those are the things that we have to. Realistically, you know that exists, and mm-hmm. we need to armor ourselves and our children um, to fight in that battle, yes. so that they can come out on the other side, loving and knowing Jesus.
0: Yes, absolutely, and that's a that's a good lesson for all of us because we're all in that battle. That's uh, it's heavy, but it's it's important. Thank you. Congratulations to Henry on his first communion. <laughs> yes.
3: Sorry, this wasn't the most uplifting conversation. <laughs> it's good.
0: It's good topic. Good topic for the Easter season. <laughs> All right. Good. Jillian Cantor, Spiritual Warfare. Um, Thank you. Thank you very much. Jillian Cantor is the producer of the Salt and Light TV program, Mothering Full of Grace, and she's the wife of David and the mother of Joseph, Henry, Annie, Clara, and Jane.
4: Hi, this is Sarah Hart, and you are listening to the Salt and Light Hour with the very awesome Deacon Pedro. In the Bible and in the ancient Near East, shepherd was a political title that stressed the obligation of kings to provide for their subjects. The title connoted total concern for and dedication to others. Tending flocks and herds is an important part of Palestinian economy in biblical times. In the Old Testament, God is called the shepherd of Israel who goes before the flock, guides it, leads it to food and water, protects it, and carries its young. Embedded in the living piety of believers, the metaphor shepherd brings out the fact that God shelters the entire people. In Psalm 23, the author speaks of the Lord as his shepherd, Adonai roi lo etzar. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The image of shepherd as host is also found in this beloved psalm. Shepherd and host are both images set against the background of the desert where the protector of the sheep is also the protector of the desert traveler, offering hospitality and safety from enemies. The rod is a defensive weapon against wild animals, while the staff is a supportive instrument. They symbolize concern and loyalty. The New Testament does not judge shepherds adversely. They know their sheep. Seek lost sheep, and hazard their lives for the flock. The shepherd is a figure for God himself. The New Testament never calls God a shepherd, and only in the parable of the lost sheep does the comparison occur. Here, God, like the rejoicing shepherd of the parable, takes joy in the forgiveness and restoration of the sinner. The choice of the image reflects vividly the contrast between Jesus' love for sinners and the Pharisees' contempt for them. It can be said that the Emmaus story in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, is a continuation of Jesus' journey, his pursuit of wayward disciples, which was already prefigured by the parable of the shepherd who went in search of the lost sheep until he found them and returned them to the fold, in chapter 15. On the fourth Sunday of Easter, traditionally called Good Shepherd Sunday, we encounter the good shepherd who is really the beautiful or noble shepherd in the Greek text, who knows his flock intimately. Jesus knew shepherds and had much sympathy for their lot. He relied on one of his favorite metaphors to assure us that we can place our confidence in him. For those who heard Jesus claim this title for himself, it meant more than tenderness and compassion there was the dramatic and startling degree of love so great that the shepherd is willing to lay down his life for his flock. Unlike the hired hand, who works for pay, the good shepherd's life is devoted to the sheep out of pure love. The sheep are far more than a responsibility to the good shepherd, who is also their owner. They are the object of the shepherd's love and concern. Thus, the shepherd's devotion to them is completely unselfish the Good Shepherd is willing to die for the sheep rather than abandon them. To the hired hand, the sheep are merely a commodity to be watched over only so they can provide wool and mutton. The beauty of Jesus, our Good Shepherd, lies in the love with which he offers his life even unto death for each and every one of his sheep. In so doing, he establishes with each one a direct and personal relationship of intense love. Jesus' beauty and nobility are revealed in his letting himself be loved by us. In Jesus, we discover the Father and his Son who are shepherds, who care for us, know us, and even love us in our stubbornness, deafness, and diffidence. Sometimes it seems that followers are expected to put the needs of the leader first. The people are simply the means to an end, the leader's pleasure. Does it not often seem that shepherds are first, sheep last? The emphasis in the readings for this Sunday of Easter, this fourth Sunday of Easter, is on the sheep and their welfare. The shepherd is the means to ensure the end, the well-being of the flock. Sheep are first, shepherds last. John's Gospel portrays Jesus as the life-giving Good Shepherd. The fourth Sunday of Easter is also the World Day of Prayer for vocations. The readings are very fitting as we beg the Lord of the harvest and of the church to send more laborers into his vast vineyards. As a model of religious leadership, Jesus shows us that love can be the only motivation for ministry, especially for pastoral ministry. He also shows us that there must be no exclusiveness on the part of the religious leader. If there are sheep outside the fold, even sheep excluded by the fold itself, the good shepherd must go and fetch them, and they must be brought in so that there will be one flock under one shepherd. The motivation for inclusion is love, not social justice, not ethical fairness, not mere tolerance, and certainly not political correctness or impressive statistics. Only love can draw the circle that includes everyone. Shepherds have power over sheep. As we contemplate Jesus, the Good Shepherd, we call to mind everyone over whom we exercise authority children, elderly parents, co workers, colleagues, people who ask us for help throughout the week, people who depend on us for material and spiritual needs. Whatever title we bear, the rod and staff we carry must be symbols never of oppression. But of dedication and commitment. The readings for this fourth Sunday of Easter invite us to ask for forgiveness for the times we've not responded to those for whom we care and ask for the grace to be good shepherds. We fix our eyes anew on the good shepherd who knows that other sheep not of this fold are not lost sheep, they are his sheep. One final thought on shepherding I want to leave with you. Anthropologists tell us that between the hunting and farming stages of cultural development, shepherds stood as people who existed in both worlds and tied them together. For that reason, shepherds appear in ancient myths and sagas as a symbol for divine unity of opposites. What the ancient pagans hinted at, Christian faith has brought into a crisp reality with Jesus Christ as the great reconciler He is the Good Shepherd who has come into the center of every great conflict in order to establish beauty, unity, and peace. May it be ever so for each person who strives to be a Good Shepherd today in the Church and in the world. And as we enter those places of conflict and tribulation in our own times, may the Lord use us as his instruments to establish beauty, nobility, unity, and peace.
0: That was Father Tom Rosica with a reflection for the 4th Sunday in Easter, Jesus, the beautiful and noble shepherd. For more reflections with Father Thomas Rosica, visit our website saltandlighttv.org. Coming up in our second half hour, Children with Disabilities and the New York City Ballet, and we meet singer-songwriter John Finch. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro Most people would not think that we can find our godlike perfection hidden inside our oh-so-human imperfections, yet those who live with disability say it over and over again. For Dr. Joseph Dudkowski, it's even more. In his book, Perfectly Human, he says that he found divinity in the midst of imperfect humanity. And to tell us more, I am very happy to welcome Dr. Joseph Dudkowski to our program. Dr. D., welcome to the Salt and Light Hour.
5: Well, thank you very much, Deacon Pedro. It's an absolute pleasure to have an opportunity to speak to you and to your audience.
0: Absolutely, and it's so so good to have you on the program. Um, I think that we can all maybe figure out or understand why you may have wanted to be a doctor, but why did you want to work with people with disabilities in the first place?
5: Well, that kind of curious because it's not something that I really ever set out to do. I was an engineer and I was analyzing nuclear weapons testing data Hmm. for the United States. And um, one day as I just kind of looked around and I said, wouldn't it be amazing if we took all this technology and instead of applying it to blowing people up, we applied it to help people with disabilities. Hmm. And I wrote that as part of my essay to a medical school application. Right. Now, I have no idea why I wrote that, because I don't have anybody in my family with disability. There's nobody with cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, or muscular dystrophy, Mm
6: -hmm.
5: and um, I would consider that a Holy Spirit moment, because that didn't come from me. That came from somewhere else, and amazingly... 30 years later that's exactly what I'm doing.
0: It is exactly. It's like you fell into I mean it's a whole like you you said a holy spirit moment you fell into this perfect place for you and you didn't you weren't even thinking of medical school anyway in the first place. Um, in the book you describe lots of little stories. It's it's full of little anecdotes. That a lot of them in my estimation they're life-changing moments. Is there any one story of that you can remember that was a life changing moment as a young intern or as a young medical student or a doctor. That story that stands out for you. Well,
5: there are so many that that were all small in their way that created this um, wave that uh, took me um, into this love that God has shown me, mm. and uh, it's just that uh, is it, in the book, for example. I it's really. It's my privilege to be a witness to their stories, because mm-hmm. it's their stories that have taken me to the foot of the cross, because the ground is never more level at the foot of the cross. No. You mean, there's no separate cross for cerebral palsy. There's no separate cross for Down syndrome. There's only one. Every time I go into the church, there's only one there. And uh, it's just, they have brought me closer to God. They've taught me to love myself with my imperfections, mm-hmm. sometimes because of my imperfections.
0: Right. Tell me about that day when you opened your email and there was an email there from the New York City Ballet.
5: <laughs> that was kind of amazing. You know, you just get your email and you look at it and I'm going, what? And I'd like to say this was my idea, but a mom wrote the New York City Ballet. She uh-huh. emailed them and said, do you ever do uh, workshops for children with disabilities? And they had, mm. but it really stuck in their craw. And at that time, I was doing uh, clinics in New York City to help uh, Columbia University start their cerebral palsy center, and mm-hmm. so I get this email. Well, I helped the New York City Ballet set up programs for children with disabilities. Wow. Well, if that isn't a chocolate chip cookie, I've never heard
6: <laughs> of one, and-
5: you know, because God has always given us chocolate chip cookies, and when I think, when you know, there's nothing better than a warm chocolate chip cookie. Right. When God gives you one. I say, take a bite of it.
0: Right, right.
5: So I went down there, met these people, started working with them, and uh, the rest is history.
0: So, so, so the New York City Ballet hosted this workshop um, for children that have disabilities. So, who were the children that went, and what what did that workshop look like?
5: We had about 20 children with various disabilities, some who could walk, some who couldn't walk, some who had normal intellect, some who didn't. And uh, we had the first um, uh, class in their studios in Lincoln Center, and they provided a live pianist. Now, amazingly, the instructors they gave me were two principal dancers of the New York City Ballet. These were two of their absolute best. Uh And I had spent time and taught them how to work with children with disabilities. Um, and the result was magnificent. What they did was so exciting. And I remember the male dancer runs up to me afterwards and says, Dr. D, you're right. They're just kids. Yes. And from there I knew he had it. Yeah,
0: that's great. So it wasn't life-changing just for the participants, the kids, but also for the instructors.
5: Well, I saw that and you saw that and they would say, this is this is so wonderful, and they're so excited about it. Now the New York City Ballet, four years later, has almost 20 different programs for children and adults with disabilities.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Because they're
5: so excited about it. And But I, I finally, after a couple of years of watching this, figured out why. And that's because every one of these incredible dancers starts out as a little boy or a little girl who loves to move to music. Yeah. And, you know, we expect them to be perfect, and they are perfect. They're the best dancers in the world on the stage in New York City. But in that hour or 90 minutes, what happens is they're free to be that little boy and little girl again. And so what happens is not only do they give the gift of art and dance to these children and now adults, but they receive a gift in return from these children that they are free from having being perfect, and they can just love what they're doing. Yeah. And so the gift goes both ways. Yeah. And And that's what makes it so fantastic.
0: Yeah, and it certainly forces us to reconsider what our idea of perfection is.
5: Exactly. Yeah. You know, perfection is things that when you get to heaven, Deacon Pedro, you're going to recognize Jesus, because he's got the only imperfect body in
0: heaven.
5: Yes, yes. We get a brand new one, and I can use when I'm 62 years old. I could (laughs) use one, trust me. But Jesus rose to heaven with the holes in his hands and his feet, and the wound in his thigh. Mm -hmm. And that, imagine that. For all eternity, perfect love is the only imperfect body in heaven.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, Just uh, one last question before we have to end, uh, Doctor. why, Why did you feel it was important to write the book, Perfectly Human?
5: Because a lot of these people receive a lot of discrimination. They get shunted off from areas of society. And yet it's important for everybody to be treated with dignity and to be treated with respect. And these families work very hard when you have a child with uh, special needs.
4: Mm-hmm. And they don't
5: have the time and they don't have the money to tell their stories. And so I finally said, you know, I'm going to tell their stories.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so important, you know, treat them with dignity. And that's what the New York City Ballet is doing. Cause you, and you didn't mention that these are not. this is not dance therapy. This is actually a dance class. They're being treated the same way as any other children goes to dance class. So that's. I think that that's uh, absolutely. Yeah. When we
5: first sat down with the mother, and they said, "What do you want us to do? You want this to be therapy?" And the mother said, "No, be elite." Yeah. And from that moment, I said, "That's what makes sense."
0: These yeah. Absolutely.
5: Come in there, and they treat the children the same way, and they walk out of there, and they took. They're good
0: yeah, absolutely, um, Doctor. Yeah. yeah. Um you're, you're cutting out. So I think we're going to uh, uh, end here, but it's been so good to uh, speak to you. I'm really enjoying the book, and I want everybody to go get it, especially people who are very unfamiliar with the whole world of, of disability. It's something we all need to uh, reconnect with. Um, so thank you for writing the book and for speaking with us today.
5: Hey, thank you for this opportunity, Deacon Pedro. God bless you, you and your continued ministry.
0: You too. Dr. Joseph Dudkowski is an orthopedic surgeon who has dedicated his whole career to caring for and advocating for persons with disabilities. His book is titled Perfectly Human, and you can find it on Amazon. And to watch a video clip about the New York City Ballet Workshops, you go to our work, our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. We're going to put that uh, video right there so you can see it. Here now is our featured artist of the week, John Finch with Walk by Faith from his debut album, Wildfire.
2: There are days that I still long for purpose To see the plans that you have willed for me Though sometimes I am walking through the valley I'm certain you are always right beside me I can't see, I can't see, and you've come before me, before me.
0: John Finch with Walk By Faith from his debut album, Wildfire. John Finch was born and raised in a small town in Louisiana and discovered his love for worship and Christian unity at an early age. For the last five years, he has been leading worship all across the United States. But John Finch is also a dedicated songwriter and frequently collaborates with other artists. He has now released his debut album, That we've been listening to. It's titled "Wildfire." And to tell us more, I'm now joined by John Finch. John, welcome to the Salton Light Hour.
7: Hey, Deacon Pedro, it's great to be here. Yes.
0: So, so what was it like growing up in Louisiana?
7: Oh man. Well, I mean, we get all the seasons in Louisiana, (laughs) fortunately, but we never know when we wake up if it's going to be hot or cold. So, right. uh, Yeah, but it's great. i I've you know, born and raised in a small town, and it's. It's it's home. It'll always be home.
0: Is it? Was it? Uh, I guess you grew up in a Catholic home.
7: I did. Yeah, uh, my parents uh, brought us up in the faith, and uh, me and my three sisters. And uh, uh-huh. our uh, our faith was very important to them from a very very early age.
0: So right.
7: uh, you know, we've always been involved in in church in different you know different ways.
0: So right. Was it a, uh, was it a musical household?
7: Um. Lots of yes. Lots of lots of music in the family. Uh, my my grandparents actually to this day still uh, play music in church. And oh, great. Uh, um, my cousins are, are music teachers. And and yeah, lots of music around my 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 uh, immediate family. Though um, you know, all my sisters took piano lessons. Mm-hmm. But I I guess I'm the only one that stuck with it, which is which is cool. Everyone has their thing.
0: <laughs> okay. Good. So you're a piano player. Yes. Yeah. That's great. And when did you start writing music?
7: Uh, just about six years ago, um, really right out of, of, of high school, honestly, uh, I yeah. I felt uh, a call to just kind of to share what God has put on my heart, and it, it, it was really the, the way I liked to. Uh, I felt that I could connect with God, in, in a way that I could just kind of have conversation with God, and kind of put down um, on paper what what He was what he was revealing to me and, Mm -hmm. and what he was doing in my own life, you know?
0: Right. I was intrigued on your website. You, you talk about, actually, I think I I quoted that, that you, you found a love for Christian unity. Why specifically Christian unity?
7: Well, being, you know, born and raised Catholic, um, I, I just have a, a love, um, of, of unity and a love, where you know, just a love for worship and, and leading um, different people, uh, different faiths, different denominations, people of all different uh, walks of life and and, and different stories. Just I love when we can just come together. Um, and whether it be for one night or for a weekend and or just a moment we can come together we can pray together yeah we can worship together because i i mean i think the church is all all about unity at least it should be you know absolutely if we're,
6: yeah if
7: we're walking with christ you know i think unity you know, it should be first and foremost bringing you know bringing our brothers and sisters together um you know and all and, and walking together
0: yeah because i i wondered i mean i don't think of louisiana as the most catholic region of the united states so you must have had lots of contact with other christians growing up
7: yeah well surprisingly it's a it's a pretty catholic area oh really where where i grew up Um, because of the french influence yeah archdiocese of new orleans Um, right okay yeah yeah so it's it's pretty pretty catholic down here but man i honestly i love getting to to work with all all different denominations and i think there's a lot of Beauty uh, when we come together, you
0: know. Absolutely, no, you're right, and uh, we need to do more of that. Forget that right. we're all the body of Christ. <laughs> it's not That's the right. church; it's not just the Catholic Church. It's right. the Christian church. Um, tell me about the tell me about the album. Um, why? So you've been writing all these songs over, uh, I guess, a period of time. At some point, you thought, oh, this should be an album. How did that all come together?
7: <laughs> well, I've been writing for a while, so I it just felt like it this is something that I've been wanting to do for a long time and God kind of just made it happen last minute. So this, you know, these songs have been bits and pieces over the last couple of years. And finally, since, um, I was, just about to put the album together. I finished up a, cu- a couple of the songs and, uh, and, and even as we were, um, getting demos put together and, and beginning to go into the studio, there was even a couple more songs that we threw on there that weren't even finished yet. So, um, you know, it was just a, a, a great process. It took a couple months to put together. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I just felt like this was the best way that I could um, just share a little bit of how God is working in my life and, and leading me by faith um, and and, yeah. and just kind of walking with me in these seasons. And, and I'm just like grateful for the opportunity to share these, these songs because I know you know, a lot of us are walking through similar seasons and similar situations, and, and we all have fears, and, and I just wanted to remind people and maybe give them a little bit of hope that no matter what we're walking through um, and what season we're in, that we have a God who's who's right by our side, and that He is um, with us in every moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so the the idea behind Wildfire, I had this uh, this chorus going through my head, you know, it's burning, 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 and I was like, well, well, what's burning? Like, Lord, that's what—that's all you gave me, so what do I do with that? <laughs> and uh, I uh, prayed with that a little bit, and dove into Scripture, and Deuteronomy 424 says, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, uh, a jealous God, and he, he loves us so much. And and I just feel like with all the negativity in the world, with all the things we hear in the media, we just need that reminder that God is a, a faithful God, He's a loving Father, and, and that same love that He shows for us, um, I think that love... Uh, is burning inside of each and every one of us. And we just have to, we just have to find it. We just have to, so, you know, we have to walk with that fire, you know, and and everyone that we encounter, everyone that we come in contact with, you know, we have to show that fire, um, that fire of love that's first burning in our hearts.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great, uh, I'm always, I'm always intrigued at how uh, one song title kind of uh, encompasses what the whole album is about. Um, what, what, and I and I get the the beauty and the awesomeness of that title and what with the song Wildfire is about. Would you say that the whole album kind of has that same message?
7: Absolutely, absolutely. So it's about the uh, the powerful, uncontrollable,
0: beautiful love yeah. of the Father. You know? Amazing 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 so are you already working on the next album what's what's new for you uh,
7: well i've been i've been touring very very heavily over these last couple of months so i haven't had a ton of time to write but yeah um but definitely writing bits and pieces here and there and working with uh, other artists um you know uh, uh also i'm a uh, collaborator on the vigil project and so uh, uh you know we're always getting together and and writing new music and, uh, you know, there's lots of, lots of good things happening in the media right now. Lots, yeah. of, lots of good things and new things um, in the church. Um, and yeah, we're excited. That's for, good. Tell, for,
0: um, I've heard of the Visual Project, but I'm sure most of our listeners haven't. Tell us a little bit about that.
7: Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, so the Visual Project is, Um, It's a collaboration of artists and filmmakers and musicians, and basically we got together about three years ago uh, with the desire to share um, a a new way of of prayer, maybe, uh, through media. Uh Um, And and so we released a video series for the Sacred Seasons of the Church year, Mm -hmm. um, for Lent and Easter, and then Advent and Christmas, um, and we released um, seven videos and seven songs um, just as an invitation to pray with us, uh, you know, in these seasons of the Church. Um, and and we've just been so overwhelmed with the incredible response that we've we've seen from the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in just over a couple of weeks, you know, the, the videos were viewed in over a hundred countries. So yeah, it was so so incredible um, to see how God is working through uh, these these videos and working through the media.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Is there, is there a website for the Visual Project?
7: Yeah, it's thevisualproject.com. Is it thevisualproject.com? Yeah, and that's where all the videos can be found that's great. and all the resources.
0: That's great. So I'm sure uh, people can go check that out. It, it is a wonderful initiative. Um, John, we're going to leave it there. It's been great meeting you. I, I love the music, and I hope that there's more to come from you because uh, it's really good. So thanks for uh, sharing a little bit of what you do with us today.
7: You bet. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me.
0: You can find out more about John Finch by his album Wildfire or book him for your next event at his website johnfinchmusic.com and again, The Visual Project is thevigilproject.com as well. Here now is John Finch with that song that we were talking talking about, the title track of his debut album Wildfire.
2: desire, cleanse my soul with your fire, and you make me anew. You are a flame alive in me, within my heart burning deep, you shine through the dark. You shine through the dark. a wildfire in me. As an ember fades away, my soul gets tired, I need your grace.
0: listening to John Finch with Wildfire from his debut album of the same name. And
1: you can find out how to get Wildfire and how to find John Finch and all our guests at our website, saltandlighttv.org radio.
0: That's also where you can listen to all these interviews again if you missed any part of this program or to listen to all of our Salt and Light Hour programs at any time.
1: And to make it really easy, the Salt and Light Hour is also available as a free podcast off iTunes. Just search for it on your iTunes store.
0: Remember to reach us at Salt and Light TV. Also, I'm at Deacon Pedro GM.
1: And I'm at Emmy Callan and Billy, of course, let's not forget Billy, no. even though he was not with us today, at Bijo Chan.
0: Thank you for being with us.
1: I'm Emily Callan.
0: And I'm Deacon Pedro. And this has been the, the Salt, Salt and Light Hour. Hour.